Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi there. My name is Johnny McEwen, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen today. Um, I'm an American. Can't you tell? I'm I'm an American. Now you probably think. No, you probably hear by the sound of my voice that I'm, I'm quite British. But the truth is I'm, I'm an American. I was born here in Los Angeles, California. And then I grew up in London until I was about six. I was kind of back and forward my whole life. But then I did all my elementary schooling, my high school. I went to university out here. And so I'm, I'm an American um, with an English accent. I call myself an Angelina with an accent. That's kind of helped me get away with it a bit. But people have always thought it's bogus or I'm full of it just talking you know but I I really I can't help that I speak this way I sound tremendously British even though I'm an American um or the all-American Brit which is what you're listening to today um and I'll just tell you a bit about myself um I love sport I love baseball I I like basketball I I I even like the uh, football that you play with your hands over here I think it's great I I I think the whole thing's great I, I I love I love America I love being an American um, but a big part of my identity is uh, being British. Um, so I, I'm probably one of the residents of Santa Monica, California, who's eaten more beans on toast than the majority share or, or made more cups of tea for my parents. Um, but that's who I am. And I love sport. I've, I've loved sport since I was a kid. And I know a lot of people can say that, but I feel like my love of sport has taken lots of different shapes i i found baseball when i was 16 and just became absolutely obsessed with it was able to see the the lakers be dominant in championships growing up here as a kid and even recently with the rams and the chargers coming now having a proper team to support uh it's gotten me into american football i, I had a moment where i was obsessed with the kings as well there i've had moments with all of the sports but i think the origin of it for me is supporting the England national team and that's what i do want to talk about today um and what I'd love to talk about in this space is, is stories about love for sport and where that comes from and, and, and what that's really all about. And for me, again, it's it, the origin of it for me is supporting England. I essentially lived in my England jersey as a kid. Um, I, I just was obsessive about the team. I had all these, um, they're called soccer stars, these like little figurines. Um, and I never would stray too far without my, my Teddy Sheringham and my Alan Shearer, my, my Sol Campbell, little figures, always wearing the English shirt, of course. And um, it was June 15th in 1998. I was six years old and I was I was lucky enough to see uh, England versus Tunisia in the World Cup held in France. I saw Michael Owen's first World Cup appearance and uh, some of David Beckham's first England caps. If you've also, if you heard anyone of my generation ever talk about football, undeniably they've talked about David Beckham. Uh, it was uh, it was the 2002 World Cup, and Beckham's hairstyle that time was a, was this like faux mohawk where it wasn't like properly shaved at the sides, but had like this little spiky bit. And so I went to a hairdresser and just showed them that picture, and then proceeded to spend the rest of the summer spiking my hair in that kind of faux mo- mohawk fashion. <laughs> so. I, I mean, I was just absolutely obsessed with them, and, and, and so many were. I, I, I bought his boots, the Adidas Predators. They had these, um, this like red flap that folded over the uh, laces with this elastic on the other side of the boots, and I wore them for a few seasons too many um, until I needed bigger boots when uh, my AYSO career, which lasted until I was about 16. I was never that good. I'd score one goal a year, and that was about it. But I'd play, I'd play right midfield, and I was always kind of like, yeah, just like, just like David. <laughs> 
it was probably good only because I wasn't very good with my left foot that they make me play on, on the right side with my right foot. I, as I said before, I, I was never very good at uh, AYSO. I was, uh, it was very popular here in California and I think lots of other states, there'd always be like a state, you know, final and get to a certain stage. I was on one, one or two good teams, but like I said, I'd only ever score one goal a year and celebrate it like it was my, you know, hundredth. <laughs> Uh, I always found it interesting playing football, coming back, you know, I'd I'd go to the UK for the summers and, you know, watch either, you know, national team or go and wander around, check out the Premier League stadiums and all the different teams and then come back to America where it's so, you know, it's soccer. Hey, hey, come on, kids, let's all go up and play soccer. You know, you'd have a, you know, a coach named Greg who, you know, kind of understand it. And I'd be there begging to play right midfield like my idol, David Beckham. Um a lot of go on Ryan you got it Ryan come on Ryan we were always playing against a kid named Ryan it seemed you got it Ryan go on Ryan kick the ball Ryan uh, and nothing against you if your name is Ryan and you played AYSO soccer in the um Southern California area it's it's just that there was there there were there were there were a few of you and so, and so it seemed like we were always playing against playing against Ryan and and I don't mean any of this to be disparaging about I mean I I think there's an amazing kind of soccer community that's grown in the United States and continues to grow in even following competitive football um it just it does just kind of take on a different um feeling though you know just let's go come on we're gonna go out and have fun and play soccer you can play football next year with the helmets you can play we'll, we'll talk about it next summer um I think I just mean to say that, you know, football is kind of always more of a extracurricular activity than necessarily a, a dying passion, which is, you know, what a lot of kids play like in, in the UK growing up. And um, But I think that slowly the game has taken on an amazing life here. I think that people are now really interested in football and, you know, following Premier League teams, following some of the talent in Spain and around the world. And, and a lot of it comes from watching these national tournaments. And as like I said, as a kid, that's what I was obsessed with. Yeah, from what I can remember of most of my childhood, it was spent in an England shirt. My parents actually had a tough time keeping it off me long enough to wash it because those shirts always boast being, you know, dry, cool or something to that effect. But they always end up smelling atrocious. But uh, I wouldn't let it stop me. I would wear my England shirt. My my love for the team never wavered. And truthfully, the, the heartbreak for the team was constant. Every year I try and buy the like World Cup game or the, the Euro game on, on uh, video game to, to play. I would, I would choose that over getting FIFA or PS because I, would, I just wanted to play as the England team. Um, and so I'd buy the specialised World Cup game or even a knockoff version of it. And even if the players all had different names, I'd know who they were because I would just, I'd watch every game and it was just a, a truly obsessive about them. Um, and I, and it, particularly in those, those summers, which would lead up to either a World Cup or Euro Cup. And, and it was again in 2002 with my David Beckham Fohawk, I played the World Cup game. It was being held in Japan and Korea. And I played it on my GameCube. And I played it obsessively. I, I played it constantly. 
on probably a, a too easy of a setting. And I'd always get to the final, always just with England. And I'd be able to lift the beautiful golden green lace cup. Um, that year we were bunched in a group with Sweden, Argentina and, I- and Nigeria. And from my playing of the game, again, on far too easy a setting, I, I thought we were just going to get through with complete ease. There was just no difficulty there was there was no trouble ahead I, argentina were going to be tough in reality not on my video game but it was you know you know we were, we were going to do it and but we we didn't actually get through the, the group stage with that much ease with the exception of beating argentina 1-0 in real life not in my video game we um we just about squeaked through with two draws um draw against Nigeria and a draw against Sweden and we just edged out argentina for the the second spot Argentina didn't get through that group. It was us and Sweden. And then in the round of 16, we had a decisive 3-0 victory over Denmark. And I was just like, oh, this, this is, this is, I've, I've cracked it. I figured it out. I've played this game enough and watched the fake animatron, poorly graphicked England team lift that gold trophy so many times that I've brought it to fruition. There's nothing that will stop us. And then the the quarterfinals came um and we were playing brazil and i was confident because we looked really good i mean we we had we had really beat denmark and you know we probably you know they they'd come out top of their group and we we weren't supposed to and you know i i'm, I'm never i'm never going to you know let it waver the the the, the idea that we could get to a world cup final and win it i'm just i'm elated i'm 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 also thinking that i brought the brought this out by playing a video game so i'm probably not completely there regardless i was positive that we were we were going to win but in 2002 brazil was a crazy force they had ronaldo and rivaldo and um ronaldinho was 22 and you know it wasn't going to be easy 23 minutes into the game, Michael Owen scored the first goal and England took the lead and I was just elated. And then uh, 20-odd minutes later, uh, Ronaldo passes to Rivaldo and a, a really solid tying goal. And so I wasn't, I was, I was nervous at this point, but I wasn't going to let the kind of, the, the overwhelming joy of the quarterfinal and my my fur hook was looking particularly good that day so i was just not going to let it kind of stop me and then in the 50th minute of the second half england gives up a silly foul outside the box but there's still quite a bit of room and i remember ronaldinho sets up behind the ball the whistle goes and it's the most incredible strike the the whole defensive line just kind of watched it soar over their heads and i if i close my eyes i can see it now david seaman Vividly, just stumbling back, his ponytail flipping up in the air. And they're taking up the far post position, those two. Oh, and Seaman's been beaten. It's a goal. It's Ronaldinho. He scored direct from the free kick. Ronaldinho has made it 2-1 Brazil. And everybody was watching those in the penalty area. Maybe Seaman was as well. The ball went over his head. Wow, what a blow. And at that moment, I just felt completely depleted. <laughs> I mean, it was just an absolutely sinking moment. And I, and I looked it up only seven minutes later. 
Ronaldinho was sent off with a red card with a questionable foul. But even that didn't lift my spirits because we just looked, even playing against 10 men, we looked beat. Uh, and then, you know, the, the undeniable heartbreak continued. I, I remember really sobbing afterward, thinking, how could this have possibly happened? I should have played the... I, if only I'd played Brazil more in my game. Ridiculous thoughts. Um, but <laughs> that was the way it was. Um and the World Cup has this air of kind of uh, an elusive energy to it. I, I would look forward to the World Cups, maybe even more than the Euros. Because, but, but then there was also this part of me that thought, well, the Euros are kind of more uh, potentially more attainable, especially after 2002. I was like, well, Brazil is not in it anymore. <laughs> they're not in it. So maybe there's a chance, even though there are titans like Spain and France and Italy and, and Germany, who, you know, always put together an incredible national squad and and... You know, the the Euros. It, it's it's foolish to think that the Euros are easier than the World Cup. It's just it's just not the case. Uh, but I I'd, I'd like to hope so. And it was two years previous. It was two thousand that my dad took me to Brussels, um, where the Euros were being held that year, and we got tickets to go and see England in the third round of the group stage. And I was hopeful when we got the tickets, I was hopeful because it hadn't started yet. Um, but it was a pretty poor tournament for us that year. Um, I was about to turn nine. And of course, my, my whole attention for that summer was on the Euro and foolishly thinking that it would be easier than a World Cup. Um, and so uh, I was just excited. I was just I couldn't believe that I was going to get to see England play live and I was I was really excited to go with my dad, but my dad was a bit more nervous than I was because, unbeknownst to me, there were there were reports that there was going to be quite a bit of hooliganism in the football hooliganism in in Brussels, and they were kind of prepping for it. The the forces were kind of prepping for it and figuring out how they were going to usher all these people around and so forth. I didn't know any of that, so my mum said to my dad, she went, "You better wear something, you know, look dignified, wear something nice. Don't just, you know, I I was obviously going to wear my England shirt, but." you know, put on a collared shirt, put on a jacket, you know, look good. My mum had told my dad. And uh, I remember he took the note, even on the train down, he was wearing a, a suit and a nice shirt. And um, it was a really hot summer in Brussels uh, that year. It was really, really warm. So I was in my England shirt and my dad was in his blazer. And then the match was actually um, outside of uh, of Brussels. It wasn't in Brussels proper. It was in, it was in Charleroi. Um, about a 45 minute train right away my, my dad had put on another one of his nice button down shirts and summer blazer while I'm there in my English shirt and then uh, that afternoon we were off we took the train down to Charleroi it was about 45 minutes and then every stop more and more uh, fans would get on and more and more uh, England fans would get on and um I, I could start to feel the the, the train realise, the carriage itself realised that we were in a bit of an England stronghold. And so the, the songs would start up and the chants, and I'd join in with some of them, but just kind of taking the scene and, and feeling the, the joy and the kind of possibility of all of this. Um, and I was just certain England was going to win today. This is going to be one of those absolute brilliant memories where I was there when. Um, anyway. I remember um, waves of people exiting the train as we arrived and we all stepped out and police fencing and barricades were just everywhere. As far as I could see, there were all these these barricades up 
um, and British fans were drinking at small pubs and all sorts of places around the station and around the stadium. And it was a really hot day and my dad was feeling it in his um, smart look. Um, one distinct image I remember as we were waking our way to the stadium because the game was about to begin, I remember seeing a man with a, with a pint in one hand and a plastic cup, his uh, red England shirt over his uh, shoulder and a, a faded, ta- faded black tattoos all over his back and chest and the maroon-coloured UK passport just barely hanging onto the back pocket of his cargo shorts. Um, and... You know, he was kind of, he was really going for it. And everyone was, I mean, it was, there was, the, the, the chance from the England fans filled the streets. It seemed like that we were on the, just this England kind of parade toward the stadium. So we entered the stadium and we were sitting on the England side. And then across the pitch was the Romanian side. That was the team we were playing. The final match in the, in the group stage was against Romania. And... Everyone was cheering and going mental. And in the rafters behind us, I could hear the, the trumpets and the drums leading us all in song. As we looked around the crowd on this um, hot summer evening, it became quite apparent that... Um, my dad was not the only man in a blazer. He, he wasn't the only man in, a, in even a button-down shirt. He was one of the few men actually wearing a shirt, most opting for the Umbro shirts over the shoulders or around their waists um, <laughs> and, and sweating and drinking profusely. It was, a, it was a mainly shirtless crowd. And so my dad did stick out a bit of a sore thumb in his blazer. Um, and then uh, the man sitting next to me, I remember, he was wearing a plastic bowler cap with an England cross over it. And uh, he could see me looking at it. And uh, without any hesitation, he plopped it on my head. And I viscerally remember the feeling of condensation from this plastic bowler-looking cap kind of now sitting on top of my shaved head at the time. And I had a shaved head, of course, because that was Beckham's chosen hairstyle for that year's tournament. Um Soon enough, the, the game began, and uh, the, the the teams came on, England in their whites and Romania in yellow, and the crowd was going mental, all of us singing along with God Save the Queen. And uh, the match began, and there was an overwhelming sense of confidence from our side. Um, but that soon began to fade because of the type of back-and-forth football, and the crowd started to get a bit edgy. And directly in the row behind us was a particularly vocal fan, and he was yelling as if he were Kevin Keegan, the um, current but very short-lived manager of England at the time. And he took a particular play. Uh, he took a particular disliking for the the play of Philip Neville. And I I couldn't tell if it was because of his play, or if it was because we were sitting along the side that Neville was. We were we were closest to Neville because he was playing left back, and we were kind of on the left hand side of the attacking you know side. So I I didn't know if he was just yelling at Philip because of his play or because he was potentially the closest to hear him and he was trying to be annoying. But he would just he was screaming, "Oh Neville, you you oh!" He was going absolutely mental, screaming every explicit under the sun. And, and one word in particular, he he did keep saying the c word. He Neville was the c word constantly i mean just constant badgering and it 
it was about four or five or six more times after he'd, he'd, he'd let Neville know that he was the right C-word. My dad thought, look, I'm sitting here with my young son. I might have, you know, maybe I should say something. I don't know. You know, he, he kind of toiled on it a little bit. He, he, he was like, oh, he kind of looked at me. He, he turned back to look at this man uh, who was sitting there, of course, shirtless. And he had two children under each of his arms, both younger than me. And so I saw my dad looking back at him and we just kind of looked at each other and laugh and, and assumed that he could just <laughs> carry on with his, his um, stand coaching. Anyway, I remember the match being close and then uh, Romania took the first goal and then uh, Shearer scored a penalty. And then in the 45th minute, there was just an incredible goal from Michael Owen. And that was it. That was the victory that we would need. Um, but it was near. It was only near the end of the first half. The rest of the game was a bit of a blur, to be honest. Um, as the squads changed side, our fan slash coach behind us. Now, now he was on to Gary Neville, his brother, who's playing <laughs> right back. Um, if you're curious, Gar- uh, Gary was a right c-word as well. I mean, this man really had it out for the Neville family. Um, regardless, quickly into the second half, Romania scored, tied now at two-two. And me and my dad were trying to calculate whether or not we'd still get through to the knockouts with a draw. And there's a chance and then maybe it became about goal difference. And maybe 3-3 three, three would have been... Anyways, we couldn't figure it out. We didn't want to bother ourselves with it because we've got to watch this match. We've got to watch this match. And then in the 89th minute, uh, we surrender a penalty. And uh, back of the net, Romania. Our European hopes kind of dashed. Um... And that was kind of it. I, I remember feeling, I remember feeling the numbness again. The, the England lost the numbness. I, and we all kind of exited the stadium in a very, very somber, very different mood to that of the entrance. Um, kicking cans along the street and kind of silence and, you know, people pretending like they're the BBC analysts, being like, look, you know, you 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 got to win, you got to win games to win a tournament. Bottom line, you know, kind of all that stuff's going on, you know, the analysis from all the fans. Um, and so we made it back to the train station and the the crowds were slowly funneling in through the entrance and uh, on their way toward the platform. And then all of a sudden the crowd's movement stopped. I remember kind of feeling a stop. And my dad was standing behind me and then there was a great deal of commotion up the front that I could hear but not see. And then just the crowd just started coming toward me like an avalanche. I just, I could, I could start to feel them coming back. And I was about to, I kind of tripped back a little bit and, and I could just, I felt like all these feet were about to walk me. My dad grabbed me by the collar of my England shirt and (laughs) pulled me up and dragged me off to the side as all these fans came wading back. And there were all these police up at front saying, no, 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 no more, no more English fans, no more English fans on the train, no more. And now the crowd was really pissed off. I mean, no knockout stage, and now there's no way to get home. And me and my dad looked at each other quite blankly, like, what on, What are we going to do? And then we heard rumblings up above about coaches or buses that were going to be able to take people back, but not that near Brussels, but kind of. And everything seemed really, really uncertain. And we were kind of looked back behind us and the streets were barren. There was just nothing in sight but police barricades and empty plastic cups everywhere. And then out in the distance, and it was almost like a dream, we saw this little yellow glowing light that said taxi. And my dad grabbed me and somehow we got the other side of the fencing and we started rolling toward the cab and my dad went, tap! But he didn't want to, he didn't want to say taxi. He didn't want to scream cab because he didn't want to bring that much attention to it because behind us now... 
only 10 paces away were all these really kind of crazed English fans. And it was a good thing he had his blazer on in the end because his cab pulled over for him. And we got in the cab and we shut the door and then they had realised it by this point, some of the fans, and they start banging on the windows. It was like the opposite of the Beatles moment. They wanted to get into the car and get us out of it and they had no care about us. They actually just cared about the car. And my dad said, you know, just go to Brussels and the guy wanted to get out of there as well and we just sped off into the distance. Um, and even though England had lost, we had had this kind of small victory of, of claiming the only cap. Uh, we woke up the next morning and took the train back to London. And uh, we got to the front door of our house and we rang the, the, the doorbell for my mum to come answer it instead of just using our keys and walking in. And she opened the door and she found both me and my dad in full Italian suits, Italian kits, Italian shirts. We're being, you know, kind of singing in the same way that we had left singing England songs. Except now we were singing Italian songs because <laughs> we had we, we thought it'd be funny if we looked like we just came back and had completely switched allegiance. But we were going to keep the football, keep the football on for the summer, even though England were out of it. Um, England, Italy actually did make it to the final of that Euro. Um, but they lost 2-1 to one to France, and I felt the heartbreak all over again. I just thought, football has the most amazing way of breaking your heart. It is just something else. Um, I think of that story a lot. I think of that story often. Um, and I think it's really impressionable on my love for England, but also my love for sport, my love for being in that environment, being in that moment, supporting a team, being a part of a community. Um, and regardless of, of how hard the, the mountain is to climb, you try and climb it. And it's possible. It's not impossible. People have done it. Every year, someone gets to the top of it. Um, and every year, you hope it's your, it's your guys, it's your team. Um, and in 2018, uh, England, <laughs> in the World Cup, England did something that I've never seen in my entire lifetime. We, we made it to a semi-final. And we, we got there on a penalty shootout, of all things. And I really couldn't believe it. And in the days leading up to that semi-final, I, I thought of all of the different moments of heartbreak, of you know, seeing Romania, of 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 sobbing in two thousand two after losing to Brazil, and, and thinking of all those moments that were so impressionable on me. And now we we'd gotten to a semi-final. We'd never gotten that far. I'd never seen them get that far. And I love this team so much, but I've never seen them actually be that successful before. And it almost felt like a victory. Uh, just getting to that stage, and a good thing it was because we, we lost to we, we we lost to Croatia. Anyway, I I, I love I love England and uh, I love the English national team, and I will always 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 look forward to a World Cup or a Euro or UEFA Nations League. Look, if they're wearing their England shirt, I'll be watching. <laughs> You'll be sure to catch information about the England national team and all other sports here on this podcast i'm really excited to be launching this be sure to keep up with the all american brit pod here on believe network the number one podcasting network for professionals you can also follow me at aa brit pod on instagram and twitter and follow us on all of the podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcasts be sure to check out the next episode we're going to be talking about baseball um, we're going to be recapping the off season we're going to be talking about football that's going on in the premier league american football basketball golf, you name it. This is your place to listen. 
My name's Johnny McCune. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.